or today I want to talk about three P's for making disciples. So this is a pretty straightforward lesson. There's three P's. This is what I call a nuts and bolts lesson. You'll have three P's and then you'll have three major scriptures. If you get those in your note taking or thinking, then you've basically uh, you have all the message. And so it's a it's a good morning today. It's good to be together. The weather is cooled off outside and and I really appreciate you taking time to come down and, uh, and give God glory and praise and, and a period of devotion to Him. So when we think about our uh, worship, worship's an interesting thing because when you think about worship, the Scripture says, you know, to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, tremble before Him all the earth. And we get that from Psalm 96. So there's what we do in the corporate worship, which is, uh, in Greek, the proskuneo. Um, there was a, a preacher called Stafford North. He's up in, uh, uh, if I remember right, he's over in Tennessee. But, but he um, had this uh, saying. He said, you know, worship in the corporate sense, when you gather together as the body of Christ, is to take time apart from all of the duties of life to bow down and kiss the ground. And, and that's... Uh, proskuneo means to kiss towards or to adore, to honor, to think clearly for. And so, thank you. And so you have this um, beautiful thing here where you see um, the, the, the church gather together to proskuneo, to adore God and worship Him. And so that is one part of a life that is uh, the Christian life. What I want to look at today is when you think about a whole life of worship, what about the other part? Because there's what you do corporately as the body of Christ, and those things are prescribed in Scripture. We know what those things are when we talk about the acts of worship when you gather together each week as the assembly. And in that assembly, in that corporate body, those things we perform, we believe we always do each week we gather together on the Lord's Day. But this second part, the Greek part, word for that, latreo, this service, the service of our life. In other words, our whole life is a dedication to God. And when you think about this in Scripture, in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, you know, where Paul is admonishing the church to, to be transformed by the renewing of their mind, to think about that, that whole life as a spiritual act of service, the things that we do corporately are defined. But what about the things that we do outside of the body when we when we talk about the way that we live, because both actually go together. They're both connected. So when you think about your spiritual life as an act of service, think about your life as a life full of devotion. When I say the word I am devoted to Christ, um, remember when you think about how Christ called people, um, when he's calling the, the 12 apostles, especially the first four, right, Peter, James, and John, uh, he does not say, well, if you're not too busy, um, maybe, you're, maybe you don't want to do this. When he walked by and he saw them, he says, come follow me, right? Put down your nets, come and follow me. And his intention wasn't for them to have a, a, a choice in the matter. They were to just say, okay, I'll follow. And they go and they followed the Lord. Devotion is something that is expected of all people. Because remember, there will be a day, Romans 14 says, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. The hope is that we do it before that. So when Jesus says, come, that we follow. Remember in uh, Matthew 8 where he talks there about uh, 
the disciples that were following him, they were very excited. They had seen Jesus' early miracles there, and they'd seen some of his teaching, and it was a wonderful time as Jesus' ministry started to grow and his influence and impact really started to expand as people talked about the things that only, only he could do, only a man from God could do. And so there are people that would come to him and say, well, Lord, I'm going to follow you anywhere. And he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. Another disciple comes to him and says, but, 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 but let me go bury my, let me go bury my, my father. And Jesus says, let the dead go bury their own dead. You come follow me. So when Jesus talks about this, the, the, the idea of devotion, this is something where we cut ties with the world and we let that part go. And even though we know we live in the world, we don't live of the world. And so we have to make that decision. So when we talk about making disciples in that regard and that cutting away of that worldly life, the big book of small groups says this. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ who seeks to live a life marked by continued growth in understanding and obedience. You know, the interesting thing about this statement is it raises a question in our minds, and that is, how do we grow? Because it is expected of us if we start, uh, say, in an entry-level job, that we would work at that entry-level job and learn the skills of working in that job, because we certainly would not want to stay in an entry-level job. The idea is that you mature and you would you know, gain skills and, and work experience and people experience. And if you did that, then of course it makes you more qualified to move up into the next level, maybe middle management, or, or maybe even later on as you mature and blossom into a leader into an administrative level. So certainly none of us want to stay on the entry-level point. Well, the same thing is for a Christian. When you look there at the seed on the left side of the slide there, you can see as that seed blossoms and it, and it blooms, that seedling now grows, and eventually as that continues to grow, it's going to produce a great big plant compared to the size of that seed. And whether you're talking about something small like maybe a soybean plant or tall as, a, as corn or as big as an oak tree, the expectation is that you're growing. Remember, if we're not growing, we're, we're dying, right? Trees either are growing up or they're dying off. There's no in-between on that. For Christians, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Because how could the Lord be pleased if we're out there and we are, we're sowing but we're not reaping? We're, we're, we're having uh, banquets but nobody's sitting at the table. How could the Lord be pleased... How could the Lord be pleased if we're sowing, Matthew 13, 3 and 9, but not, not reaping? And how could we be going out and, and saying there's a harvest, but we're, we're, we're not really getting any harvest from that? Um, when you look at this and you think about um, how can we be preaching the gospel message and not getting any response? And how is it that we can go out and, and we have a, 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 the, the widow's might where she loses that lost coin, and yet nobody finds that coin? Of course, when we're preaching the message, the expectation is when you plant the seed of the gospel in somebody's heart, that, that, that we will water it and it will blossom and we'll continue to nurture that until it grows into that big plant. 
And that, that particular data point came out of some Church of Christ growth guidelines that were uh, made uh, by Dwayne Davenport. But here are some things that I want to encourage us in. Because I believe that it is possible to still have an influence no matter what age we are. And so I want to encourage us in these three P's that are going to help us in that regard. Because I believe Scripture has an answer to that. Scripture has an answer to that. There are things that we can do that we can take as practical application for how we can make disciples and make lifelong devoted disciples of Jesus Christ and effective servants in his church, a lifelong service to God and community. So when it, the first one that I want to talk about today is called perseverance. How many of you know what perseverance means, right? In the old King James, they would say long-suffering, right? How is it that we can be long-suffering? Well, I believe that we have to take that long view when it comes to doing the work. They say that in a ministry, that a short ministry is less than 10 years old because it takes time to develop that ministry into that, uh, that which uh, would be very effective. So when somebody comes in and they put down roots, like a minister like myself, we believe that it's going to take time to build the relationships among the, the members of the body. It'll take time to bring new people in. It'll take time to get to know the children of the family so that they too can be planted and rooted because certainly all of us would want to see our families believe. And so it takes a, a certain amount of fortitude to be able to say, I need to take the long view. And that means that certainly we don't accept sin, but we figure out the way that God is working to help a person remove that sin from their life and move closer to the Lord. Or a family that is struggling, maybe it's financially, maybe it's just personally, maybe it's schoolwork for the kids or whatever it might be, to help them to move away from those things that are drawing them away from God to be closer to God and to be closer to their Christian community. That takes time. Uh, when you think about this, there's a how many of you watched Facing the Giants? And you might remember from there that uh, uh, Grant Taylor, uh, the coach of the Shiloh Eagles, and he had to take that team in basically one season from a know-nothing team up to a championship team. Now, you and I know that football teams take a little bit longer than one season to grow, and certainly in a movie they only had two hours to kind of pack that in. But you can see that, that it takes time. People have to work at it. It takes effort. You have to have a view that I'm going to put the legwork in and I'm going to put the, the effort in and the heart in to make that uh, ministry successful. We were talking at the, at the dining uh, table uh, last Wednesday, and we were considering about all the damage that was done in Houston and down in, in Florida by the hurricanes. And you think about how much effort it's going to take to rebuild 44,000 homes in the Houston area or to let uh, that little seed of an orange tree grow or, or a lemon tree grow so that those groves that were wiped out or, or flooded out would be able to build uh, up again to be able to produce fruit down in Florida. It's going to take time. So when you think about football teams and ministry and you think about orange groves, those things take longer than just simply we baptize somebody and throw them in the pew. We have to do the long work of developing them into Christian servants. And that takes perseverance. And so when you think about what Jesus had said there about foxes having uh, holes 
and birds having nests or are leaving the things that of this world, which is what the second statement was about leaving that, that uh, burial, so that you can follow after Christ, what is the barrier in our own hearts? What is the barrier in our own hearts that we have to work on so that we can be successful as followers of Christ? Because there is definitely a dividing line, and that dividing line is our devotion. And our devotion has to have perseverance in mind because we have to look and take the long view and say, what will it cost me? When my wife and I did mission work in China, we know that that really, truly cost people very real things. Um, I can tell you many, many stories, but I'll, I'll just summarize it by saying this. In a country where Christianity is oppressed, it could very well cost you your job. It could very well cost you uh, time in prison or time in jail. It could very well cost you opportunities for education, opportunities to go abroad and study or go abroad and travel, and just relationship connections that could be severed because your family could suffer because of the fact that you choose to follow after Christ. But believe me, when you take that long view in mind, when you imagine how Christ understood what was before him in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, for the joy of the cross that lay before him, right? For the joy that lay before him, he was willing to take on the shame of, of the cross. Imagine the beauty of that, of that long view in our own minds, knowing that there are ups and downs in life, and sometimes things that do cost us to follow after Christ. But when you consider that, I want you to think about the second one. The second P, and I think the second P, or presence, is one of the most overlooked in, in terms of doing ministry and making disciples. You know, it's interesting because when you sit in the body of Christ and you're gathered together in the assembly, we're encouraged when we see each other. We're encouraged when we, when we, when we look around the room and we see the pews filled or the chairs filled, and we recognize those familiar faces and we recognize that we're in a safe place where we can let our hair down we can let people know who we really are, and we can really know that God will be with us and, and, and encourage us, especially when we're down. And so presence is one of those things that I think is often overlooked, because just the very fact sometimes of being there gives you an opportunity that you would not have otherwise. Think about all the opportunities that you would have to influence someone away from the world, from sin, self, and society, towards the living God, simply because the way that you choose to spend your time. And choosing to spend your time together with the body of Christ. For example, yesterday we had what was called Leadership Training for Christ. And we're part of the Southwest region, and there's about 20, almost 30 kids this year involved in it. So that's children and parents. Um, the parents, uh, probably together, we had about 50 people yesterday. And we ate together, and then there was different activities that are part of the LTC program that many of, the, of the, the children signed up for. So, for example, some were making uh, greeting cards to mail to people so that they could encourage uh, those that are, that are wayward or, or sick or just to encourage somebody we haven't seen for a while. Um, some were working on chorus where they're singing together, learning new um, songs so that they can be proficient when they gather in the larger assembly to worship God. Or in some cases, there's things like song leading or memorizing scripture. These are all things that are very positive, and the parents have to be a part of it, and the children are a part of that, and they grow. Think of the, very, of the value 
that you, that that program has, and it's not the program; it's the people and their participation by being present and engaged in the process of learning, in the process of maturing, of watering that seed as it's growing from that seedling into that full-grown plant. Because when you think about this in Romans chapter twelve, one and two, Paul would talk about it this way. I pray that you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you do that? But when you gather together with the body. And when you think about this, Romans chapter 12 is all about the body and how the different parts of the body connect together. You think about the things like in 12.5, right? We're, we're members that belong to each other. That means that my time and energy and love are not my own. They are, it'd be selfish to try to keep all of that just for ourselves. Sometimes love is something, if you give it away, you end up getting back more, right? So when you gather together and you encourage the body that with your presence and your influence and encouragement, think of the good, think of that energy that it creates to do many, many good things. Part of that is raising godly children. Part of it's raising godly adults to be more mature, to be leaders in the body. And when you read down through Romans chapter 12 and you think about some of the things Paul says, he says, abhor evil, cling to what is good, right? Leave those things which are, which, are, which are deadly to the soul. Leave those things that would cause division. Be unified together, right? Members of one another, love one each other. And, and just have that power of presence, that power of presence, because it's so important to remember that people are watching no matter what. We are teaching somebody something somewhere sometime. And I know in ministry I live in a fishbowl with my family and everybody's kind of looking in the fishbowl. And you know what? That's okay. I want to be a good example and I want people to follow that. But I know that as a Christian, especially in today's society, there's so much that's against Christianity that sometimes we can be shy. And remember that we are commanded in Scripture to go make disciples, baptize, and teach them what Jesus taught his apostles. And so we, we cannot hide behind the walls of the church. We can't hide behind the walls of our home. We have to be willing to go out and engage those people that need to know the gospel message. Somebody, even in your circles, even in the circles you run in, needs to hear that Jesus loves them, that he died to save them, and that if they will obey the gospel as it's commanded in Scripture, they can have the hope that we all have. So, brothers and sisters, when you think about uh, somebody like Paul or Jesus, um, well, you know, Jesus traveled with the apostles for three years to teach and train them. And he spent a lot of time with them. And even then, they still needed further training, so he promised to leave them with the Holy Spirit. When you think about Paul and what, what he did in Scripture, and you imagine what that must have been like uh, when he was not planted in a place like Ephesus or Corinth for a long length of time to train and to teach and preach. He took uh, people with him like Timothy and Titus or Silas or Barnabas. And these are people that would help encourage him along the way. Remember later, especially when you read the end of 2 Timothy, look at all the people that he lists there. People like Luke that spent significant time with him. And certainly by being present with him and listening to his teaching and being encouraged by that, that certainly he's had an influence with his presence in that. So sometimes we just have to step out and try. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe that's something that's new for you. Take the challenge to find somebody who has a receptive heart 
and talk to them about the things that matter, the things that matter for eternal life. And one of the things that you can talk about that certainly is a very fair thing to go, uh, go to is to give up sin. You know, we know that sin is destructive. It's terrible. Um, and, and mostly it's based on the pride or the shame of someone that doesn't want to let that go. But yet we could be the very catalyst that helps that person to soften their heart, to be let, to submit that heart to the rule of Christ so that they can let go of those things which so easily entangle and embrace that relationship with Jesus Christ and what, he's, what he teaches and do what he says so they can have that eternal life. So the third thing that I want to share with you today, this has to do with our, our power of persuasion. I believe that persuasion is one of the things that we, we really need to work on because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, down in verse 11 and 12, you hear uh, Paul, he admits to something that is so, so critical to, to our walk with Christ. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So the purpose of, of Paul's ministry was to provide that message and certainly preach it in a positive fashion. But just like Hebrews chapter 10 is sort of divided at, by around 10, 24, and 25, where the front half of that chapter is all the positive, it's the carrot, if you will allow me that term, the second half of Hebrews 10 and, and this wording here in 2 Corinthians 5 are the stick. And so if we're not motivated by the carrot and the reward of forgiveness of sins and eternal life and, and a new life, you get to start over, then just be warned sometimes that if we're not carrying out our Christian duty, that it is something that we need to, to consider and, and change. Because Paul said we're already made manifest to God. God already knows the work that we're doing. But, but our prayer is, Paul's prayer was that our work would be made manifest to you. Meaning, I hope that the church would understand and recognize the good work that's going on. I hope that non-Christians would see that and glorify God. And I would pray that more people would be converted to Christ. You know, persuasion is not something that we're, 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 we're just trying to win a one-time argument. The power of persuasion... We are wanting people to submit to Christ's rule so that they have lifelong service to Jesus Christ and to the church. We want someone to have a seed that blossoms in their heart, and then we want them to be rooted in a local congregation, participating in the activities that are there, in the worship each week. So the goal is not just to persuade someone and convince them. I've convinced many people that want to get wet in the water because they think it, it gets them out of hell for free, but they forget that there's actually a next step to that, to become an effective member of the community of Christ, that local congregation. That really is the final goal. And so Paul would say, you know, we need to have proper fear. Not afraid fear as in it causes us to be sort of fearful of doing anything, but that proper fear that motivates, that says, you know what, I recognize my shortcomings. I recognize that I fall short of the glory of God, just as every person does. And you know what? That motivates me to say, if Jesus can offer me grace, and if he can offer forgiveness, and if he can offer hope, then, then I want other people to have that same beautiful thing that I have as a Christian. And so proper fear is motivation to do good. And who, do you, who would you think, who would you think, 
Who would you think are the first people that need to hear that message? That would be our loved ones. Because the greatest influence in every study I've ever read, whether it's Barna Group or whether it's this uh, Dwayne Davenport and the Churches of Christ or Flavel Yakely or all these people that do church research, all of, the, all of the studies point towards one thing, and that is the highest rate of success for sharing the gospel is a person to their relatives. So your connection with your brothers and sisters, your connection with your parents, your connection with your children and grandchildren, these are the things that you want to reach out to first, the people that matter to you most, because certainly we want to see our own family join us in heaven. Because Paul said, yes, we're manifest to God, but we want to be manifest to you. We want to see you join us in heaven, and that doesn't just happen. It's something that you have to work at. It's something that you have to be motivated to persuade someone, not just to convince them one time and maybe a dinner table conversation, but one that one where you convert that person over to Christ for a lifelong duty of service to him and to the church. So brothers and sisters, this is a time for a heart check. This is a time for a heart check. What can we do? Well, let's think about that. If you're an elder in the church, that means that you have to be willing and motivated and have a passion to share the gospel message and to mature Christians to be fully grown. And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then how can the rest of the church be passionate? Deacons, one of the qualifications for you is to hold the mystery of Christ and hold that mystery and share that mystery with others so they can know the truth. What about people like me that do ministry and preaching and teaching? To proclaim that message boldly and to expect that obedience will occur when we preach the gospel truthfully, honestly, forcefully, lovingly, with gentleness and respect, but certainly not giving into the truth. You know, one of the things that you notice about Jesus when he was teaching, he never gave in to the truth. And, and while he did some things that were gentle and loving, like, Blessed are the children, let them, you know, hinder them not, let them come unto me. Or there are times when he healed people, and, and like the woman with the issue of blood, and she was scared to death, and he says, no, your faith has healed you, go in peace. Or the woman caught in adultery, or, or, or maybe the centurion's son. But we need to be, be, be mindful that Jesus never backed away from the truth. He never gave in to the truth and said, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have pressed that point. No, we always hold to the truth. That is our limit. And we let other people know that that's something they need to adhere to as well. And it's perfectly okay to do that. And if that's the, the problem for the person, then they need to check their own heart and say, am I doing what's right? Or am I living a life of selfishness, which is what the world would want us all to teach? Anybody can use this power of perseverance, of presence, and of persuasion to convince others to become faithful followers of Christ. And so I like to offer an invitation. That invitation is to anyone who wants to, who wants to uh, come forward and, or, or express their wishes to either become a Christian because they have not been baptized yet, or someone who would like to confess that they, that they have something they're struggling with. And so we're going to sing a song, and after that, you're welcome to make those uh, wishes known.
And may God grant us that, uh, that power to go out there and really influence people with our, our actions, with our example, with our words, so that others might know about that message of the gospel.